source of true delight, my unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading die. The scripture reading is in Judges 7, beginning of verse 1. It's on page 206 of the Q Bible. Judges 7. Let us lean in as we hear God's word for us this morning. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Let Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, the servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent and struck it, so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. 
And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all them, and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of, of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches, and their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bath Shetah, towards Zerubah, as far as the border of Abel, Mahalah, and Taboth. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali, and from Asher, and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and capture the waters against them, as far as Beth Barah, and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah, and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. The word of the Lord. This uh, quite famous passage, one referred to in Isaiah, as we will see, one referred to in Hebrews 11, talking about the men of faith in the Old Testament. This this event was just burned in the psyche of Israel for what God did through Midian. It stands as an amazing uh, a, a stone of remembrance of what God does for weak and helpless people. And it can certainly be that for us as well. As we struggle in our day-to-day lives, one of our real problems is in facing our weakness and our inadequacy. And using that in in what I would call ultimately an evil way, but we'll say a weak way, of distancing ourselves from God, thinking God distances Himself from us because of our weakness. He looks at us with scorn and rejects us, even mocks us and ridicules us, because we should not be so weak. And we're going to see that entirely the opposite thing happens in this passage. And we're encouraged in our weakness, in our fears, to give ourselves continually to His will, that He would hold us up and use us in His kingdom. So a very encouraging passage. It had been an encouragement for all the people of God Uh, throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament and throughout history. And may it be so for us as well. The first thing we want to talk about is faith in weakness. Then we're going to talk about faith in fear and then faith in battle. Okay, Faith in weakness, 
faith in fear, faith in battle. Now, you would think in verse 2 that God would say, you know what? The Midianites are too many for me to give them into your hand. Right? You'd think that's what he would say. But he says the opposite. Really strange here. You are too many. It'd be like I'm with three guys and we turn an alley and there are 50 guys there facing us fully armed to fight us. And I tell the two guys next to me, hey, it's only 50, you guys get out of here. I got it. You know, just crazy. Already we're outnumbered. And then I boil it down to just me. And that seems to be the case here. Of course, the reason is, it's not a matter of whether God will win or not, but the matter is, how will Israel interpret the victory? How will they respond to the victory? How will they see it? How they see themselves and God in the midst of this. You'd think also, for Gideon's part, that when God says that we're going to send some people home, Gideon would just be like, whoa, no, no. Is this the new math or something? I mean, uh, haven't you seen the AT&T commercial? More is better than less. Bigger is better. Faster is better than slower. I need to multiply. I don't need to subtract here. And yet, Gideon seems to put himself in the hands of God through all this. You don't see any whining. You don't see any complaining. You don't see any protest on the part of Gideon. A real submissiveness on his part to what God is doing. And even this first reduction is major. You know, if our defense budget is cut by 5%, that causes ripples and upheavals all through the country. But the first cut here is close to 70%, right? And you think, okay, okay, we're, we're, we're reeling here. We cut down over a third. And then God says, this is not enough. And so the full defense cuts end up being 99%. You could call this, the code name for this operation, no way. Okay? <laughs> it's the code name. No way, by human strength. No way that this is going to happen. Now, it's, it's kind of popular, in, uh, and it actually it's in some commentaries as well, to say that there are two kinds of drinking here to distinguish the guys who are really ready for battle and the guys who are just need to be sloughed off because they're not really ready for battle. But that is really not what's happening here. First of all, there's some confusion as to even what's meant here as to the kinds of drinking. But it's usually painted this way. Some guys fall on their face and are drinking straight from the water. Wow. <laughs> I, have to, I have to learn that for a fact at times. But, um, but other guys are kneeling and they're doing this and they're like really observing. You know, they're the real warriors watching. And us, those are the guys I want. As though God is forming here the Navy SEALs, you know, a crack troops for a secret mission. But the point is that their numbers are so pathetic, they don't stand a chance. That's the point here. Not how great these guys are to win the battles. Like, how pathetic that 300 guys are going to throw themselves against the horde of Midianites. This is crazy. And what are they going to be doing? They're going to be horn blowers. Okay? They're going to be horn blowers. No military training even needed for this. It's like picking up guys from a high school band to play in the NFL. You know, That's what's happening here. You're sending nobody, in, in a sense, into this battle. 
You can imagine them. Here we are, Midianites, and we've got trumpets and jars. This is crazy. It's insane. And we're to get the feel of that. And God is reducing the numbers to the point that it is obvious. No way that this is going to happen except by the power of God. So here's the radical faith of Gideon that he may have struggled, but it indicates that he really did put his trust into this wild, wild God at that point. And God does this with us in so many ways. Actually, our whole life began this way, in an impossible situation. We, dead in our trespasses and sins, absolutely lost and enslaved, helpless to change ourselves. And as that radical way that Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 4, as God said at the beginning, let there be light, He shines into our hearts so that we can see the glory of Christ. Otherwise, we're garnished. The whole beginning of our faith is absolute strength and helplessness. That's why Paul can say in Titus 3, as, as he, he says to show perfect courtesy toward all people, he says, and here's why, because we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness, but by His mercy. See, He found us in that situation. We, we, we didn't change and get to be better and better. And He looked and oh, look, these guys are really trying. He found us in darkness and just saved us. See? So the whole beginning of our life with Christ is one in which God entered into a helpless and lost situation. But God continues to do this in our lives, in bringing into our lives crippling difficulties and continuous situations that manifest our weaknesses, devastating events that just overwhelm us as human beings, showing us, in many cases, the entrenchment of sin in different areas of our lives. And so, it can be anything. You can have a particularly difficult child that you're dealing with. A particularly difficult struggle in your marriage. A devastating health concern. Chronic health concern. Chronic weakness. Slowly debilitating disease. Severe chronic pain. Or you may have the most intense struggle with a particular sin or set of sins, whether it's depression and anxiety or pride and anger and bitterness or lust or gossip or covetousness or fear. It could be that you were abused physically or sexually as a child and you're still having to deal with the consequences in your life, maybe in your marriage. Why does God do this? Why does He allow this crippling weakness that occurs in so many forms in our lives. Why has he brought about this pain and loss and numbing frustration and downright devastation? It's so that in your helplessness he is glorified when he brings about good where you never would expect good. Brings about strength where you, there can't be any strength there. And yet there is because of the presence of God. 
There seems to be no way there can be change, and yet there is. No way that I could love in the situation I am, and yet by His grace, He enables us to do that which we could not do by ourselves. He brings life out of death and strength where there is weakness. And you're familiar, many of you already maybe are thinking of Paul, when he says in 2 Corinthians 12, talking about the revelations that he has, and he said, to keep me from being conceited because of the greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And this means this, this word given is always used of things given by God. And yet it's called a messenger of Satan to harass me. So this thorn was by the sovereignty of God given to me. It was His will. But it became a messenger of Satan. That means something that caused me great suffering. So here it is. It came from God. It's intended for my good, but it's caused immense suffering to me. One commentator would, and I think this is an accurate statement, it was in some way a recurring trial in Paul's life that could incapacitate and humiliate him at any time. Incapacitate and humiliate him at any time. And probably interfered with his, his ministry in some way. And that's why he pleaded three times. Perhaps three means repeatedly, fullest way, I, I poured myself out to God about this. But he just won't take it away from me. And I'm in this crippled state, as I see it. I'm, I'm in a wheelchair, in a way. And I'm operating out of that difficulty and that weakness. But he says, I boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this is, this is a great paradox. You're not strong, in the biblical sense, when you're independently strong. You've got it all together. You, know. you can handle it. That, that doesn't even register. Okay? That's not even the radar screen, uh, screen of, of strength in the Bible. You only begin to be strong in the biblical sentence when you're weak and helplessly trusting in Christ. Now that should be good news, right? That is only in my weakness. It's only as I'm coming to the end of myself. That's how I begin the Christian faith. Coming to the end of my own righteousness and my own works and having completely to depend upon the grace of Christ. That never changes. And everything God does in our life is to continue to bring us to that point of helplessness and weakness. Paul could say in second, earlier in the same book of 2 Corinthians, We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See? Like, the resurrection is critical to my everyday life. I've got to believe in the God that raises the dead. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 4, who uh, brings into being that which is not. Lord, in my life right now, you must bring into being that which is not, because I cannot handle this. I cannot move on. I'm shattered. I'm undone. Hold me together. And there is this, wonderfully, there is this happiness and dependence. There can be. 
this relief and trust in which we pray to the Lord, I'm breaking apart, I don't feel I can go on. Oh Lord, continue to save me and rescue me in every part of this situation I am. Oh Lord, in the midst of this difficulty, form me into your image, conform me to your love, make me know you in this, make me to taste your goodness, make me to see the beauty of your cross in this, to know the comfort of your hope, the refuge of your promise. Make me to know the joy of your goodness and greatness. Because really and truly, this life is not going to be about your glory and your strength. It's going to be about God's glory and His strength. But that is your true freedom. And that's your true glory. That you have begun to learn to glory in God and not yourself. That's the liberty of any human being. That you're fixed upon His majesty and glory and His greatness. And you begin more and more to depend upon Him. And that's how we minister to others out of our pain. Because Paul can say a little earlier, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We are, you're being prepared as well for mutual ministry. Here is how I found Him in the midst of my pain and loss and disappointment. Here is how I tasted His goodness in the midst of it. And so God gets the glory in how He radically saves us and puts us back together and then uses us in our weakness in other people's lives. Amazing. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If you don't like that agenda, you know, there's the door. <laughs> I mean, that's what God would say. Here, here's the agenda. No man will boast in my presence, but that actually is your liberty and your happiness. That you learn to boast not in yourself, but to boast in me. And so in your weakness, God is doing great, great things to conform you to his image and to make you fix yourself upon his greatness and goodness. And he's opening up rooms of his, his goodness and greatness to you in the midst of your pain. So faith in weakness. Then faith in fear. Uh, isn't it interesting that God says, Arise and go down to the camp, verse 9. But if you're afraid to go down, and I'd be like, I'm going down there. You know, I'm going to go down. I, I think I will go down and, and be encouraged by whatever this is that I'm going to see down there um, to hear what they, they say. But isn't it encouraging that He knows fears. He knows how scared we can be. Uh, the, the verse in Psalm 103 says He knows our frame and it's emphatic. He knows our frame. Okay? Nobody else might. He knows how weak we are. He knows how we struggle and how frail. And He's not harsh. Uh, Ralph Davis says He's not harsh when we tremble. He does not ridicule us for our fears. He never mocks us because we are fragile. I saw a, a cool thing as we were driving into the parking lot. And it was Keith 
getting outrun uh, by war. Right? You know what was happening. They were just going running through the grass and war was outrunning and Roy was looking back laughing, you know. Just a wonderful picture of a father loving his son. Imagine a father running ahead of him and saying, You're so slow, you stupid little kid. You know, this kind of thing. Like, can't you walk any, or, or a one-year-old begins to walk and you just say, Oh, you're pathetic. <laughs> you fall on your bottom all the time. No, that's not why we, we just like, oh, You took a step. Look at that. You know, we're just amazing and embrace them and praise them. It's just wonderful. In, in, in our children's weakness, the best parents always just shelter them and embrace them and encourage them. God is the Father toward His weak and failing and fearful children. And He encourages us. Davis goes on to say, Christ takes uncertain and fearful folk, strengthens their hand in the oddest ways, and makes them able to stand for Him in school or home or work. God is patient and persistent with us. And you may pray even this, Lord, if you don't take away my fear, at least don't allow my fear to rule me. At least don't let my fear stand in the way of doing Your will. Don't let my fear stand in the way, for instance, of moving toward other people. I'm loving them. Don't let my fear stand in the way of showing hospitality or getting to know people who may threaten me or people who are different from me or just people who are unknown to me. Lord, don't let my fear stop me from seeking out unbelievers to befriend them and love them and share my time and life with them and to share Christ with them. Lord, don't let my fear govern me, strengthen me so that even if I am fearful, I don't bow down to my fear. That my trust in you will be greater than my fear. My trust in what you will do as I give myself up to you will be greater than my fear of what will happen to me if I give myself up to you. How about that prayer? Lord, may my confidence in your love for me if I put myself in your will overcome apparently this fear that if I put myself in your hands, who knows what would happen. Right? Let's trust his love more than this alien, wicked fear that would say, I can't put myself in your hands and I can't move out and give myself to other people because who knows what you might do to me. Really, that's the question. Of course, it's like, I don't know how what I would say and I don't know what they might, how they might respond. And I'm telling you, I have, I've been and am, you know, the greatest security cat in the world. I think I've shared with some of you. I used to actually, in high school, daydream about living on a desert island. You know, I was so scared of people. And even a few years ago, we were sitting around the dinner table. I know several of you have heard me say this. And we were talking about Shawshank Redemption. And uh, Kay, Kay, of course, is 100% extrovert. No, 190% extrovert. You know? uh, I remember years ago saying, well, honey, when I walk in a room, I'm just scared of how people respond to me. What they I said, don't you feel like? She said, no. I said, what do you think? She says, I think they should like me. <laughs> you know, I don't think that. I think that I know they're going to hate me. I said, I'll respond. 
So we're talking about Shawshank, and she's talking about, God, it would be terrible if I was in solitary confinement for 30 days. I don't know what I would do. And then she just turned to me and went, you'd like it, wouldn't you? <laughs> myself to people who love them and, and let that overcome my fear of what they might think of me. Um, and it's a struggle, but we must let His love rule me and not my fear. I love what Barry Webb says about this. The, the undispensable requirement for a leader of God's people is not fearlessness, it's obedience. Okay? It's not fearlessness. Just don't worship your fear. Don't give in to your fear. Be done with that fear by God's grace. And even that will be a struggle. And the writer of Hebrews 11, when he's talking about a series of men, most of them from Judges, and one of them he includes is Gideon. Okay, And this is in uh, Hebrews 11, 34. And the New Jerusalem Bible, it reads like this. They were weak people who were given strength to be brave in war and drive back foreign invaders. Isn't that an encouraging thing? You're, you're weak people... But God makes you brave so that you can do mighty things for him. That's who you are. But that's, we have a great God. <clears throat> well, in this dream, <laughs> it's a pretty weird dream because this little barley loaf, a, a roll, basically. We'd say, well, that was a roll. You know, comes tumbling down the hill. It, it smashes, it knocks this tent over, just collapses it. You know? And barley was the bread of the poor in Israel. Very unimpressive, unlikely, lowly. Uh, the meaning may even mean moldy, okay? Uh, that it was, uh, that it, that, that was, you know, corrupt bread. And, but even this measly piece of roll knocks down the tent. And you wonder why they wouldn't have thought, well, that's obvious, we're going to knock down the tent of Israel. I mean, look at this horde of people. There's no doubt what that means. But God had put into their heart a fear, kind of like the people of Jericho had the fear was falling on their hearts already before Israel came uh, to attack Jericho. And they apparently were jumpy and edgy about Gideon's name. It's kind of like uh, this, let's say, countryside in which there's a prison and they hear that a guy breaks out of prison. Well, actually, this guy was... In for manslaughter, and even that he was totally innocent, uh, shouldn't have even been convicted. So he's a nonviolent guy, and he's escaped, and he's just running for his life. He's trying to get away. But the word gets out that an insane killer, crazed killer, has escaped, and he's on the rampage. And what's going to happen? Every sound you hear, you know, she could be like this. You're jumping. Is he? I know it's him. You know, he's he not even around. He's running all running off. So. But the, the sense of being scared to death because something ominous is coming to get you. That's what apparently happened. And that's why even they're, they're told to cry out the name of Gideon because that would strike fear. It's Gideon, no! You know? and, and that's why when 
this barley loaf lands in the tent. They say, it's Gideon. I know it's Gideon. Their fears were already taken over them. And God, of course, was in the midst of all of this. And at that point, when he sees that, he sees the work of God. He sees that God has gone before him. That God's already on the move. That God's already attacking them in a sense. He worshipped. He knew it was over. He knew that, that God was going to win the battle. It's at that point he said, It's you. It's you, Yahweh. You are present. You are manifesting your greatness. You're the God of the Exodus. And you've come to deliver us. See your great work. And so he adores God. And that adoration leads to action. And, and I want to encourage you that He can bring you and me to that same adoration as we go down into His Word and we overhear the precious and great promises of God as we rehearse His great work in, in Christ Jesus. And I want to urge you, adore Him in the midst of your fear. Okay? Adore Him in the midst of your fear. Adoration leads to new obedience in the face of fear. As we begin to understand you're greater than anything that I'm facing. And I rest in you. And then faith in battle, or we might just call it faith against all odds. Okay? Faith, in, um, faith in weakness, faith in fear, faith against all odds. Gideon is resourceful, isn't he? he this was a wise choice of, uh, of a battle plan. Right at the change of guard, the new guys are on, they're just getting settled in, their eyes are just getting accustomed to the dark, and suddenly it looks like the vanguard of a huge army. And they hear the name of Gideon, and they see the lights, and they hear the horns, and it all breaks loose. And they see men running in and out of tents, and they think they're being attacked, and so they start attacking each other. It's ironic that they say a sword for Gideon, uh, and a sword for Yahweh, because they don't even have any swords, right? <laughs> they don't even have any swords. But Yahweh is going to use the swords of the enemy, and he fights the battle with the weapons of his enemies. He makes them fight each other like you could stand there and make a guy just start hitting himself, you know? And that's what he's doing in his power. And what do they do? They stand there. They stand there with their... They're, they're blowing their horns and holding a torch. That's all they do. And, and it reminds us of that great statement uh, at the Red Sea. Stand fast and behold the deliverance of the Lord which He will accomplish for you this day. And you see in this that all it took to break the spell of Midianite oppression was faith. All it took to break the spell of this oppression was to believe in the power of God and then participate in God's victory. It's encouraging that God is on the move against your enemy's sin. It's amazing that He can say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's, it's utterly amazing. Or He can say, stand fast in the strength of the Lord, even though your enemies are vastly superior, spiritual forces in dark places. It's amazing that he can say in Romans 16, 20, God will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
I don't know fully what that means, but I at least got the outline. Okay? God will crush Satan, and it's going to be under my feet. I don't know how that works, but we are going to be able to participate in the victory of God in ways that are unimaginable. And this means that there's a final manifestation of that, but there's an ongoing manifestation in our lives as we, by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit, become more and more like Christ, and we become more and more of a united body, we become more and more of a sacrificial body reaching out to a lost world. Those are our battlegrounds, brothers and sisters. To spend ourselves as Christ spent himself for us, in spite of our weakness, in spite of our fear, in spite of the odds against us. What if we decided that we're going to plant 50 churches in Fort Worth. Some of 50. And it's really sad how we would say that people just start shaking their head when there are hundreds of Baptist churches around. Like hundreds. Maybe there are millions. I don't know. Just, right? But for us to think that we're going to plant 10 or 20 or 30 is just, you know, unimaginable. Why? What, what's stopping us? From doing that, where's the sacrifice? Where's the prayer? Where's the expectation? Where's the... Well, God give us grace that in the face against all odds that we will love people as we've never loved them before. And finally, just to realize as a deliverer, Gideon is a shadowy picture of our true deliverer, Jesus Christ. We have a deliverer who was fearful. In fact, in the garden, he was it is, is described as sorrowful and deeply distressed. The tra another translation, grieved and agitated, in deep anguish. Mark uses a word that means astounded or amazed, that the distress was like a freight train smashing into him. He was in shock over the horror that he was to face cross. And he said to his disciples, I'm very sorrowful even to death. Sorrow has overwhelmed me, overtaken me. Sorrow has me by the throat. Our Lord knows what it is to be in distress and to be grieving over the pain and the suffering that he was about to face. And yet in his, in that, at that point he said, Thy will be done. I entrust myself into your hands, into your care, into your love. May I love as you love. May I give as you give. And John records what Jesus had said earlier concerning his death. Father, glorify your name. And so, by God's grace, we follow our Lord. He saves us and rescues us through his death. Saving us from the wrath of God. Saving us from dominion of sin. And so we, by His grace, can say as well, Lord, no matter what happens to me or to mine, use me for your purposes. Manifest your love to me and manifest your love in me to others. Do what you will with my life. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Isn't it wonderful that by His grace we can imitate Him because His Spirit dwells in us. The Spirit that we're told and 
Hebrews 9, that enabled him to offer himself up, that's the spirit that dwells in you, brothers and sisters. You will, by his grace, look like Jesus. You will love and sacrifice like Jesus. It must happen because your new creation, the old has passed away. All things have become new in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this glorious passage that enables us to see faith in weakness and faith in fear, faith against all odds, faith in the battle itself. We thank you for this manifestation in this passage, even of final judgment, as these, these trumpets blowing and the routing of your enemies is, Lord, a, a taste of preview of that final trumpet that will blow at resurrection here and the final trumpet of the judgment of this world, the final trumpet of the coming of Christ Jesus. But this victory we see in Gideon anticipates really the end of all things when all the promises of God will be fulfilled, when all of your enemies will be defeated, when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Oh Lord, we thank You that You will reign forever and ever. That this looks forward to the very judgment. And is our comfort that our Lord Jesus will manifest Himself and be our glorious Savior in that last day. And all of our enemies will be routed. And He will bring about the new heavens and the new earth. No, Lord, we thank you that there in Isaiah 9, as you said, that uh, as Gideon broke Midian, so also his king will break every oppressor. And so we rejoice that he has come against the backdrop of that deliverance of Midian. For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. O oh Lord, bring it about for Your glory and honor. And thank You that we, belonging to Jesus, will participate in that victory for your glory we pray amen pleasing clouded or with pain thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from fort worth presbyterian our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving god and loving people in you please visit our website for worship service times directions to the church and to subscribe to this podcast our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break rain. Shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?